Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today. Shannon Huffman Polson has worked with leaders in industries across the country and around the world on managing change, building leadership and grit, and planning for diversity. Shannon is the founder and CEO of the Grit Institute, a leadership development organization dedicated to the whole leader approach to ethical and people-centered performance in times of change and challenge. She is also the author of The Grit Factor, Courage, Resilience, and Leadership in the Most Male-Dominated Organization in the World, which I'm sure she will tell us what that is, forthcoming from Harvard Business Review Press in September 2020. Hello, Shannon. Hello. Great to be with you. Great. Thank you for being with us today. We appreciate you finding some time to help our listeners learn a little bit more about bravery in the workplace. Wonderful. Well, it's a, it's a terrific topic, so I'm so grateful to have been invited to join you. Fantastic. So I did a okay job uh, introducing you, and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more, perhaps about your background and also what brought you to do the work that you're doing today. Yeah, that's a great question, and it's certainly not been a straight path. Although I imagine many of your listeners can uh, can understand that and probably relate. I started out growing up in Anchorage, Alaska, and heading out to uh, do my undergraduate degree in English Lit at Duke University, and that changed from Alaska to. Duke in North Carolina, I like to say, was the um, the biggest culture shock of my life. Uh, <laughs> in addition to studying English and art history, I was also an Army ROTC. And uh, at the end of my college years, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. And I ended up, because of my timing, being one of the first women to fly the Apache helicopter in the United States Army. So I served for eight years in uniform. I led two flight platoons and a flight company on three different continents. And then I transitioned through an MBA at the Tuck School at Dartmouth, and then went on to have the opportunity to work with outstanding teams in the corporate world as well, in the medical device industry at Guidant, which is now Boston Scientific, and then later at Microsoft. And now I've really returned to a, a long, long time love of, of storytelling combined with this long time love of leadership. I've been keynoting and working with uh, companies, again, around the country and around the world for almost a decade now. And um, I left Microsoft to write my first book, which was called North of Hope. It's a very different um 
personal story, also very much about grit. And then decided after writing that book that I, I really missed a lot of the work that I've been doing in business. I missed the work around leadership. And so that's when I started to think about how to integrate those two aspects, being the creativity piece as well as the leadership piece. Uh, and at the same time, a young lieutenant reached out to me and asked if I would be her mentor as she started flight school. So I said yes, but then suddenly realized, wow, like my experience in the military is now you know over a decade old. It was pretty unique because I was one of the first women to fly the Apache. So that's a, a unusual experience. And I would love to be able to scale the advice that I give her. So bring it from a lot of other sources besides just my own experience. But if I do that work, then I'd like to be able to scale the people to whom that advice is available. And so that was really the genesis of what became the grit factor. Um, it was based on dozens of interviews with leaders in the vanguard of their fields from early women general officers, um, an early Coast Guard rescue swimmer, one of the first women Army Rangers, a submariner, and many, many more really outstanding leaders. Uh, and then, of course, went back into the secondary research for that as well to develop the grit factor. Uh, realized that there was a demand for high demand for training that would go along with that. And that is really what led to the GRIT Institute. And so that is training that's available online to individuals, but also available to organizations uh, in various different modalities. Wow. Well, you have a fantastic career. And I want to go back in time just for a couple of minutes. And first off, talk a little bit about your transition from Alaska to Duke. I mean, you could not have moved further from Alaska than to Duke, which is on the East Coast. I'm curious what prompted that transition. Were you looking just to get as far away from Alaska as possible, or did it have a, a you know a, a type of study there that was of interest to you? No, honestly, it was uh, it was a 17 year old who wanted to you know like any teenager get as far away from home as humanly possible and. Um, and so I did. And I think, you know, as with any leap that you make like that, um, I, I, I don't know if it's bravery or stupidity or naivete, but there's some combination <laughs> of the three. And then you, you, you learn, right? And I think it was actually a great experience for me to understand how much you grow in the course of making decisions that are extremely uncomfortable and, um, and require you to grow into them. And when you think about the uh, fact that you are one of the first women to fly an Apache helicopter, which alone is an outstanding achievement, how did that come about? You know, what steps or processes kicked into play? Because I'm sure there were people who told you you'd never fly or couldn't fly, and then one day you are. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I was getting ready to graduate college, and I was um, I had been drilling for two years with the Army National Guard in addition to ROTC as part of what was called a simultaneous membership program. And I had to receive my assignment for the years ahead. So before graduation, before commissioning, I drove out to Raleigh, North Carolina, to the State Aviation Office for the National Guard. And I remember reporting to this colonel, and I, you know, I'm not yet graduated, I'm not yet commissioned, I'm just a cadet, a college student cadet. And I report to a colonel who's probably in his late 30s or early 40s, and it seems like he's behind a desk that's as wide as the room and shiny <laughs> glass windows going up behind him. And I tried not to shake as I'm saluting, and he asked me to sit down, and we, ex we exchanged a couple of pleasantries back and forth. And then he stopped mid-sentence, and he leaned back in his chair at me, and he said, you realize, cadet, that you will never fly an attack aircraft. 
you know, I was, I was young. I was like, I had just turned 21 and, uh, and I actually hadn't, I don't think been told that I couldn't do something ever <laughs> in my life. <laughs> and I looked back at him and I recognized his comment for what it was mean, meant to be, which was mean and small because at that time attack aircraft weren't open to women to fly. And so I said, yes, sir, because there are times when that's the only thing that I have to say. And then I went back to the campus of Duke University and, and asked for a transfer out of the National Guard and onto active duty. And then later that spring, Congress changed the game on that colonel and everyone else, lifted the combat exclusion clause, and suddenly every aircraft in the inventory was open to women and men to fly. So I thought that the sky was the limit. And I went to Fort Rucker, Alabama later that year. I was an honor graduate at my officer basic course and initial entry rotary wing course. And I requested and I was assigned the Apache. So um, I think there was... Uh, there are multiple parts to that. I mean, it's not that, that without fear. It was certainly, it was also sort of a, really, I can't do that? Well, watch me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> got to have, have a little bit of that. And I won't say that I wasn't um, wasn't frightened more than once. But uh, but I think there was also some frustration at, um, at being told I couldn't do something. Well, I would imagine all of us would have felt that way. So uh, I don't think you're alone on that front. So to help our listeners put some things in the context, Shannon, what year did Congress uh, allow women to be in any type of airplane or aircraft in the inventory? So that was 1993 is when the, um, the combat exclusion clause was lifted for women in aircraft. And um, and so that feels like a long time ago now. <laughs> It does, but I think for but I think for some of us, you know, we would have thought it might have been earlier than that, like in the '60s or '70s. But you know, 1993 was 27 years ago, but it's not a lifetime ago, right? So, uh, and there were women flying; they were flying transport, um, and certainly they were flying medevac and other things. They were flying in conditions that were certainly combat conditions, and I think that's one of those things that has caused the debate to be. Um, so silly in many cases is that in each time when Congress has lifted restrictions, women have been doing that work for some time before those restrictions, just in different capacities. So, and that was the case when I came in as well. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you. Thank you. So Shannon, when you think about bravery in the workplace, what words or phrases do you think of or come to mind for you? Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's something uh, that, I, well, one, one, one of my favorite quotes, and this is not the exact same thing as bravery, but that courage is the price that life exacts for granting peace. That's apparently Amelia Earhart is the attribution for that, uh, appropriately enough. Um, but I, I also think of, um, you know, one of the things, one of the chapters in the book and one of the, the parts of the course uh, going for grit at the Grit Institute is about audacity. And I like to think a little bit of audacity. Now it's not, again, exactly the same thing, but both of those come to mind in that, um, in the work that I do, especially if we're talking about diversity, especially if we're talking about women's leadership, and I that's not my only area of focus, but in those areas, women tend not to ask for what they want. And um, one of the best pieces of advice that I have received along the way, and as I did these interviews for The Grit Factor, was from Major General Don Dunlop of the US Air Force, who's absolutely phenomenal. She's a test pilot in everything in the aircraft inventory. And she said, you know, you've got to tell leaders, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. And the statistics show that women tend to ask only when uh, they're about 150% qualified for a job, and men ask when they're about 50% qualified. So you've got to be willing to take risks. And I guess when it comes to bravery, I would I would say taking risks, and that is um, they're often emotional risks, right? When you're talking about uh, the typical corporate workforce. So. 
Well, that reminds me of a book I read, and I am not a expert in women's leadership as well, but the book was called Women Don't Ask, and it talks about research done around women leadership, mostly in the, I think, 90s, you know, it wasn't, you know, 2020, but, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. But, you know, one of the conclusions they came to is, you know, women don't know that they deserve more than what they have at the workplace. And women don't know how to ask for more than what they have at the workplace. And I'm not saying everyone should agree with that. But, you know, those were a couple of the observations that they had as related to, you know, what I think is bravery. Right. No, absolutely. And I think that's that still holds true today from all of the anecdotal experience of, of various clients, again, across industries, across sectors. So absolutely, that that holds true today. And it is something that requires some bravery. And it's uh, it's it's hard to do and it's important to do for your own career and so that you have the ability to contribute to your maximum potential. So tell us a little bit more about audacity. I would imagine you mean respectful candor or respectful uh, conversations, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. What what do you mean by and what are you thinking of when you say the word audacity? Yeah, audacity. I think of really as being um, being willing. I mean, really being willing to, to to put yourself out there to take risks, and uh, and that is something that is hard for many of us to do in in any capacity. So I think that is sometimes speaking up when something is unjust or unfair. It might be. Um, it might be asking for that thing that you want. It might be taking a risk in a in, in a business in a different direction, in a different way. And and quite frankly, in the environment that we're all finding ourselves in today, that's going to happen again and again, where you have to take risks, be willing to take risks. Uh, and that's that's audacity, but that's and that's bravery, right? And be willing to move in a direction even when you don't know that there will be success because success comes from taking risks and being willing to fail and, and then picking yourself up again. So I think that is, uh, is are, are some of the ways that I think about audacity and willingness to, to uh, I like to talk about it as facing the wind, right? When you take off in the Apache helicopter, like in any aircraft, you, you turn the nose to face the wind and um, that takes bravery. That's um, not something that we all do if we are used to being safer or more secure. No, we typically want to avoid the wind, right, and follow the path of least resistance, which is what many people will do in the workplace. They look for the least number of obstacles that they might encounter at work and try to navigate their way through that versus saying, you know what, there's one way we need to go, and the way we need to go is to face the wind and head right in, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's really the only way to tackle any kind of a challenge, but um, but it's not our natural inclination typically. <laughs> So. No, it's not. What about the relationship, do you think, Shannon, exists between bravery and grit? Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the word grit as you use it in your vocation. And perhaps we could talk a little bit about how it relates to bravery. Well, it's interesting because um, I, I think grit is so much bigger and more nuanced than we tend to think about it. And you know, I, I have, um, I would say that early on, and it's interesting, I just had a, a conversation with Shay Haver, who's one of the first women Army Rangers, and someone I've gotten to know a little bit more than my uh, my average interviewee, and, and she's just fabulous. And we talked about how early on, you kind of think of grit as, as getting through a tough time, like mile 23 of the marathon, right? Like, that's just hard, and you just sort of have to suck it up and push through. And there is a component of grit that is absolutely like that. But I think, as you get just even a little bit more mature, a little bit more, a little bit older, um, I think it is. It resembles bravery more in the sense that it is. Um, 
it's more holistic. I think it's really this whole body, mind, spirit, right? It's the whole leader concept in that it is part of the ecosystem of the human, the whole human. And I really believe that very strongly and and that that's how leaders need to lead and how we need to lead ourselves first. Um, But the the training and the book, uh, The Grit Factor, and then the training going for grit is broken up into commit, learn, and then launch. And commit is doing this deep introspective work. Learning is kind of just expanding that a little bit farther out, looking at the the, the foundation of things before you get into audacity and authenticity and adaptability. And um, and I think that that whole person concept of grit, because we don't do things alone, we don't do things in a vacuum, um, is really is really critical. And I guess I would say that I think that resembles bravery then more than just the grit in the moment. Um, and at the same time, it's not the same, right? Because bravery is is more akin in that ecosystem to to the idea of, um, of audacity, I think, in the sense that you're willing to put yourself out there. You're willing to risk failure. You're willing to, you understand that failure's not final, that, um, and I like to say that it's not failure that matters, it's what you do with it that counts. And you've got to be brave to face that, for sure. So I think in that way, there's uh, more of an association through the concept of audacity. We're going to pause in our conversation with Shannon Polson and ask that you join us on our next podcast where we'll hear a little bit more from Shannon on how she defines grit and also her story about bravery in the workplace. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple, Overcast, CastBox. We are everywhere. Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.